Father, I pray that we would not be satisfied with anything other than our relationship with you. And I pray that in the few minutes that we have left, God, I pray that if we are putting our hope and trust in anything or anyone other than you, that you would bring that to our mind's eye. Father, may what you have done on the cross help us to realize that we owe you our lives. Father, thank you for loving us. Thank you for pursuing us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I know I say this every time uh, we have extra services, but it's just there's something different about extra services. Um, and it's just that you have rearranged your schedules to be here. And I, I believe God honors any time we seek him. But there's just something about making an extra effort to be here. And so for those of you online and then uh, being here, thank you. My prayer is that the lyrics of the songs that we have sung, that it would matter to you. And that we would recognize how much Jesus has done for us. So I, I do not uh, want to rush through the readings. I want us to be sure and to take in what Christ did for us so that by the time we reach Sunday morning, uh, you won't be able to contain yourselves. Uh, yes, even at New Cub, we want you to not contain yourselves. Thank you. Mark 15 is where we're going to pick up, and if you brought your Bibles, turn to Mark 15, page 1021, if you're using the Bible in the seat pocket. So Thursday night, we know that this was the Thursday before his crucifixion, Jesus was betrayed by Judas, he was disowned by Peter, he was arrested by the temple guard, he was mocked, he was spat upon, he was beaten. He was bruised, he was bleeding, and they lead him before Pilate. And before Pilate there, he, that Friday morning, there he is, all damaged already physically, not to mention the, the hurt of being disowned by those around him. But then he is subjected to flogging, and we talked about this on Sunday, where a whip containing razor-sharp bones lead balls which they would wrap around the body, whip around the body, causing contusions and certainly all kinds of bleeding. So here we pick up in Mark 15, verses 16 to 20. The soldiers led Jesus away to the palace, that is the praetorium, and they called together a whole company of soldiers. They put a purple robe on him, and then they twisted a crown of thorns and set it on him. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews. A little reminiscent, but different than earlier in the week when they were saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and laying down their jackets and palm branches. It's ironic. But they make fun of him, Hail, King of the Jews, and again and again, they struck him on the head with a staff. They spit on him. Falling on their knees, they paid homage to him, all in sarcasm. And when they'd mocked him, they took off that robe, put his own clothes on him, and then they led 
him out to be crucified. What was in Jesus' future was not a surprise to him. The shocking nature of his capture, trial, and death, it was not a personal defeat. It was not a failure of God's plan. It was not a triumph of the enemy. The death of Jesus, everything that we see happening, this bloody cross was a complete success of God's plan. From Jesus' first breath as a human being, his job description was to do exactly what we're reading about. Mark 15, verse 21. A certain man from Cyrene, Simon, of Alexander and Rufus, was passing by on his way from the country. He's uh, just happened to be there in the capital city, and he's from North Africa. They forced him to carry the 120-pound cross. Jesus was unable to carry it because of all that he had been through over the past day and night. So they brought Jesus to the place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. So the crucifixion is maximum pain, whatever they can do, taught to the Romans from the Persians. Maximum pain. And they take the seven inch iron spikes and they drive it through the hands and through the feet. Waves of pain would pulsate because not just of the spikes going into the hands. But they, not, they would lacerate the nerves. So you can imagine if you've ever had any nerve problems, the nerves being just torn apart. Breathing becomes near impossible. It's agonizing. The diaphragm is, is shut down. You're up on the cross and you're, you're, you're hanging there. The diaphragm needs to be open to breathe and it's collapsing And the only way to breathe is to push down on the feet, which are nailed to the cross, to push up for just a short gasp. Wrenching cramps, lacerated back as he pushes up against the cross to get the breath from the scourging. I mean, it's just incredible what Jesus went through for us. Verse 23. And they offered him wine mixed with myrrh, but he didn't take it. Again, no shortcuts. Jesus does not take any shortcuts. He is committed to fulfill what was he was called to do. No shortcuts whatsoever. He was not going to lessen the suffering that he had voluntarily, voluntarily submitted to. Verse 24. And they crucified him. Dividing up his clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was the third hour when they crucified him. The written notice on the, on the charge against him read, The King of the Jews. They crucified two robbers with him, one on the right, one on the left. I think it's interesting and ironic that here they have the charge against him, the King of the Jews. Ironically, the charge was true. He is the King. And yet he's willing to subject himself to this. As if that's not enough, verse 29 continues what happens. Those who pass by, they hurl insults at him. Shaking their heads saying, so 
you who are going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, come down from the cross and save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests and teachers of the law, they mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Christ, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Those crucified with him also heaped insults on him. Remaining on the cross until the death was exactly what the Messiah had to do. This shows my age, but there's a song a long time ago that saying I won't sing it. You can, you can thank Jesus for that. I got a heckle section over there. (laughs) He could have called 10,000 angels. He's on the cross and he could have called 10,000 angels. He's the creator of the universe. And he had every right to scoff at everyone else for what we have done. And he's paying our penalties, taking our place. And he takes it to the very bitter end. Verse 33. At the sixth hour, darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. At the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far be it for me to say what is more painful, but I think one of the biggest pains that we all endure and, and dread is being alone and being forsaken. There's just something that, that just rips your heart. And when, when you feel like you're in something all by yourself. And part of the penalty of paying is separation from God. And so Jesus, he takes it to the very end. And God turns his back on him because of the sin that he's carrying in Jesus is alone. An unnatural darkness comes over the whole land, signifying God's judgment. Verse 35. When some of those who were standing near heard this, they said, Listen, he's calling Elijah. One man ran, filled a sponge with wine, vinegar, put it on a stick, and offered it to Jesus to drink. Now leave him alone and let's see if Elijah comes to take him down, he said. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Again, let yourself be overwhelmed with this. The temple curtain, which separated us from God, it's torn in two from top to bottom. And you you know this, from top to bottom. And so Jesus not only fulfills his promise of dying on the cross, but he takes it even a step further and he says, anyone can come to the Father. You don't have to go through anyone other than Jesus alone. Incredible. That he would offer that to us while we are still sinners. And he is saying that to even those who made fun of him. And he says it to those of us who try to make life work apart from God. That it's never too late on this side of eternity 
to pursue Jesus. The Bible says, draw near to God, he'll draw near to you. The tearing of the, of the curtain symbolized that what he achieved, what he, that he had achieved, what he came to do, granting human beings access to God. Indeed, by atoning for sin, Jesus made it possible for people to come into the presence of God. Verse 39. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus heard his cry and saw how he died, he said, Surely this man was the Son of God. I think one of the reasons that I buy into the Lenten season, and I'm glad our church does, is it, it makes us, gives us a period of time to meditate on the cross. That the cross is a powerful interruption to our easy way out thinking. Because that's our tendency is to shortchange shortcuts and the Lenten season reminds us that Jesus went the full gamut when it comes to humanity's deepest and escapable problem there is no easy way out what put him on the cross sin is that big of a deal it brought death to the world our world is has changed because of sin sin separated from the creator Sin turns us into rebels. Anytime we choose to make life work apart from God, we're rebelling against what God wants us to do. And that's not just a sin of commission, it's a sin of omission, to knowing the right thing to do and not doing it. Sin's pathway is destruction, and the end point is death, and Jesus knew that, so Jesus says, I'll pay the penalty and go to the, the very end for you. I think the Lenten season, at the end of the Lenten season, stands a tomb. And when I think about that, I think about Jesus. It was his job description. Death was his destiny. But death was not his defeat. Because death is not the end of the story for King Jesus. Can't wait for Sunday. But at the end of the Lenten season is our death as well if we embrace Lent the way we should. Because it, it reminds us of how much Jesus died for us. It reminds us how short we come. And, and part of doing away with some things during the Lenten season or, or adding some things is all to pursue a relationship with Jesus so that he can reveal to us, reveal to me, to all of us, where am I not giving Jesus control of my life? And that we, in that extra time that we spend with him, that we hang out and, and confess those sins to him. In fact, in Luke 9, it says, Then he said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross daily, and follow Jesus. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you'll save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but are yourself lost and destroyed. So where does that leave us tonight? A couple things as we receive communion in a moment. We'll receive communion in terms of saying, thank you, Jesus, for your body and dying on the cross, 
and I eat that bread and give thanks. But it's also a time for us to confess that we need to die to ourselves. Whatever he's revealed to you tonight or through the 40 days, whatever it may be, that you would confess as you eat that bread, confess and say, I want to I give up my rights and give you control. And, and the best way that looks is Romans 12, 1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices. One translation says, the problem with the living sacrifice is it keeps crawling off the altar. And so that's, that's what we need to do. We, we give to God. When you receive this communion, you give that to him. And as you receive the, the, the drink, the grape juice, and you drink it, be reminded that all your sins are forgiven. And when your confession comes crawling off the altar again and you're doing your own thing, stop in your tracks and confess, I've done it again and I put this, this sacrifice back on the altar. It's a living sacrifice. It's holy. It's pleasing to God. That's your spiritual service. So the only way to Sunday is by way of Friday. So we celebrate tonight in an odd way we realize that without Friday night, Sunday would not come. So as we receive communion in just a moment, just remember that death is not just an event. It's a process for us. It's consistently giving to God, sacrificing, saying, I, God, search my heart, test me, see if there's anything that's displeasing, and then let me confess that so I can be a vessel that's pure and clean and useful and prepared for whatever God may have. So I want to pray for us, and then uh, we'll receive communion. And during the song, as you come forward uh, to one side or to the other, as you receive the bread, just be grateful for what Jesus went through, that, it, that death was his job description, and give thanks. And make confession of anything that you need to confess. And then receive forgiveness. As you drink the, the juice, be reminded all your sins are forgiven. Past, present, and future. What, what an amazing gift. We have gluten-free bread. We don't want anyone to miss out. Feel free to partake in that way. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray that as we receive communion that our hearts would be stirred once again for all that you've done for us. And Jesus, I pray that, that you would search my heart, test me, try me, if there's anything that's displeasing, uh, actions or attitudes, thoughts. God, I pray that you would bring that to my mind's eye as I receive communion myself. God, I pray that, that I would confess to you what needs to die. And Father, thank you for the forgiveness that you offer. By your blood, all our sins are forgiven. And so I receive that, we receive that. And Father, may our lives be different because we've committed our hearts to you. Praise in Jesus' name. Amen.